You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Ephesians 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 17 and read to the end of the chapter. It says this, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, John. Good evening. Good to see everybody. Welcome to Mercy View on Memorial Day weekend. My name is Brad, one of the pastors here, and if you are visiting with us tonight, we're thankful that you have done that. Hope you have uh, enjoyed your time so far with us. Pray the rest of this service continues to be a blessing uh, to you. Hey, I want to add a couple things just to John's uh, announcements. First of all, uh, tonight we conclude the series that we're in, and we're looking forward next week to do something we haven't done in a while, but one of our Renew gatherings. And if you are newer to us, Our Renew Gatherings are a way for us to, as we come to the end of a sermon series, to not plow through to the next one, but rather to slow down and to remember and reflect over the things that we've talked about over these weeks um, in this series. And so it'll be a little bit of a different kind of of gathering. There'll be a a little more singing, uh, more time for prayer and reflection, um, some time for some folks to, to speak and say a few things as well. But the, the, the entirety of our time next week is going to be devoted to, uh, to this, this, like, how, how can we get what we've talked about over the last few weeks a little deeper uh, into our hearts and minds before we move on. Second, I want to remind you that we have been invited to participate in a, in a very special event called the Black Wall Street 100. Uh, this is a bike uh, event. Uh, if you like to ride bikes, even if you don't, this would be great for you. There's different levels that you can get involved in. There's a just a family recreational ride that's about 5K. Then it goes up to 2550. And then there's a, a big one, which is 100K. Um, if you are interested in participating in this, um, you need to let Jerry Raubach or Richard Murphy know. Richard's here tonight. Raise your hand, Richard. Richard's back here. If you're interested in learning more about it, uh, we did pass out some flyers. We'll have some available um, after the service tonight if you want some more information. But we really see this as an opportunity for us to uh, show support from the church in general, but in particular, our church, Mercy View. And we really are praying, as, as we have talked about a lot lately, that this would help us Um, make more connections with the black community in the hopes that we can play the part that God has called us to in racial harmony and racial reconciliation here in Tulsa. Now, um, that actually is a a great uh, launch pad to talk about one more thing. Um, On uh, tomorrow, uh, Sunday, May the 31st, 
there will be a lot of things happening in our city remembering, commemorating uh, a very sad and tragic event that took place in our city 100 years ago. Um, if you don't know this story, a, a 19-year-old young man was accused of attacking a 17-year-old girl on a downtown elevator. At least that's how it was reported in the Tulsa Tribune at the time. And that narrative began to spread through our city, and it lit a, a, a fire of racial discord. And it erupted into about 16 to 18 hours of, of carnage and destruction and mayhem. And one of the most prosperous black communities at that time in the United States was destroyed. What took many Tulsa residents a lifetime to build took other people only hours to destroy. One library, two dozen grocery stores, four uh, drug stores, eight doctor's offices, a dozen churches, over 30 restaurants, and an entire neighborhood were reduced to nothing. Countless lives were forever changed by the actions and attitudes of Tulsa citizens a hundred years ago. The Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921 is absolutely Tulsa's lowest point in our city's history. And it reveals how wrong attitudes and heart postures can result in great destruction physically and emotionally. And unfortunately, the residue of that horrific event still lays over our city to date. Here at Mercy View, increasingly over the last year or so, we have talked about being a part of the solution to this issue in our city, the issue of racial disharmony. Now, what we want to see is racial harmony, but we recognize there is disharmony now. And we also recognize that we alone cannot solve this issue, but we can play our part. And so we are humbly asking the Lord, by His grace, that He would uh, show us what that looks like. And last fall, uh, some of you may remember this, and we've talked about this a few times since, but uh, our, our, our staff deacon for community and equipping, Ryan Hoyt, uh, he told me this story recently. I, I, didn't re I thought he had gotten this from a resource uh, that, that uh, he had read, but it was something that the Lord laid on his heart as he was praying and considering how to best respond to this issue. And if you remember, we're, we've been talking about the four L's, and these four L's were the four things that the Lord gave to Ryan. And they are now, as a church, our four L's as well. Let me just remind you what those are. Listen, learn, love, and lament. And we feel like those four ideas capture what our posture should be uh, as a church. And so we have to ask ourselves, of those four categories, uh, how are we doing with those? Individually, we've, we need to ask ourselves that, but also collectively as a church. And, and then we've got to say, we are going to pursue these things together. And I can just say from personal experience, in beginning to have these conversations with some uh, members of the black community, uh, it is challenging. Um, there's a lot of distrust, understandably so, for a, a, a white guy like me. I get it. But I am committed, and, and we are inviting you to join us 
in a commitment to pursue these four things as a church together. And so we're going to continue to provide opportunities for you to listen, to learn, to love, and to lament. And tonight, really, I want to do one of those uh, together, and that is lament. So we're going to put into practice one of the L's right now. And what I want us to do is two things. I want us to have a moment of silence for those lives that were lost in 1921, all the lives that were lost. And then we are going to pray together. I'll lead us in that time of prayer. And I just want to encourage you to allow the Lord, uh, by the power of his spirit, to use this time to help your own heart um, move towards whatever it is the Lord's asking you to do as it relates to this issue of racial harmony. So let's do this. Let's take a moment to just uh, sit in silence and think for a moment about those lives that were lost. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you remembering a tragic event that took place in our city and its after effects still linger in our city. Whether we see that in the hurt and, and the words and and concern that comes from our black brothers and sisters, whether we see it in the geography of our own city. God, we are um, very aware that to turn away from the reality and the truth that this horrific act was one in which um, has sent shockwaves and continues to send shockwaves through our city. We do not want to turn away from that. We also recognize, God, that the idea of racial harmony is massive. It is big. It's one that almost seems impossible. But, God, nothing is impossible with you. And so we come tonight to in one sense, do something that we need to do more of that I think will contribute to it, and that is to lament together. And we lament the attitudes of racism 
that still exist in our city, in our culture, and as honest as we're willing to be in our own hearts. We pray against the sin of of racism that lives in some of our churches today. We repent of attitudes of prejudice or bias that God finds that you might find in our heart. And I, I am tempted and I imagine that many of us are tempted to be defensive about that. But we're reminded of John's words in 1 John 1, 8, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. While also reminding us that in Jesus, forgiveness is possible. God, we thank you for that. If we confess those sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us. We pray that by your grace, we would see all people as made in the image of God and worthy of respect. And we do pray for the healing which is only possible that through the Spirit, it is only something that he can bring and we lament the lack of healing that exists in our culture today. And we pray that in spite of this horrific tragedy that you use each of us to help move us forward along the path of racial reconciliation and harmony for the next generation to see and to experience and to pass along as well. So God, we actually lament the ways in which we don't listen and love and learn. So we pray that you would help us in the days to come to grow in that way. We thank you that you can bring people together. You reconcile people together. And we pray that we would be able to be a part of that, Lord. Give us wisdom, humility, and intentionality in the days ahead. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, well, we are concluding a series where we have been talking about the future of Mercy View. We've been looking at a variety of things. We've been talking about things like the gospel. We've been talking about community. We've been talking about mission. We've been talking about the Bible. We've been talking about a lot of stuff. And last week, we talked about cultural engagement, what it looks like for you and I to be a faithful presence in the culture. And tonight... As we wrap up our series, I want us to think about something that maybe we've not considered, but we need to as we think about the next decade. So as we close out this series tonight, I want to invite you to see three things. First, the local church is a counterculture. Second, the local church is a family. And third, the local church is an alliance. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning there in verse 17. And as we think about the church tonight, what we see here in this passage, Paul is giving us really three word pictures of the church, three pictures to help us get a sense of what the church should be about, a a local church. And what we're going to hopefully understand is that there is a commitment that you and I are to have to a local church, 
And, and that is something that we need to think deeply about, particularly about the next decade and beyond as we think about what is next. And so, first, if you would, look with me at verse 19. What does Paul say first? What is the first word picture that he gives us of the local church? He says first that we are citizens. Citizens of what? Citizens of a kingdom, right? We are no longer foreigners. We are no longer aliens, no longer immigrants, but now we are citizens of the kingdom of God. So here's what that means. It means that Mercy View, as a local church, is what is known as a kingdom outpost. Mercy View is an embassy of the kingdom. And if we think about Jesus' words back in Matthew 16, they're so important here. If you remember, in that chapter, Jesus institutes the church upon the rock of Peter's confession of faith. And what does he say? He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's important for us to to note that the you in that verse, I will give you the kings of the kingdom, is not referring to Peter. We just said it's referring to Peter's confession. And and really what it's referring to is the, the church. The keys of the kingdom of God are given in this age by the king to the church, to a ragtag bunch of people who are really struggling to get through in life, and, and yet they are gloriously forgiven sinners. To put it another way is to say that the church acts as a sort of embassy for the government of the king. It's an outpost of the kingdom of God surrounded by the kingdom of darkness. And just as the embassy of a nation is meant, at least in part, to showcase the life of that nation to the surrounding people, the church is meant to do the same thing. Mercy View is meant to manifest the life of the kingdom of God to the world around it. Now, it's not that the church is a perfect showcase of that, and many times it's not, but the church is the primary arena that God has chosen to make his redemptive reign over his people visible. And as the world sees this, as the world responds to what this kingdom life looks like, the church will not only manifest the kingdom, it will bear witness to it. So the kingdom of God, we might say, is God's redemptive reign in the person of his son Jesus, which has broken into this present age and now is visible in a particular place, the local church. That is the context where God's kingdom is meant to break through into culture. So here's the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. The local church is a counter culture. Now we've talked about this a little bit in this series already, but I want to just jump right to a couple of ways that this plays itself out. A couple of ways that Mercy View as a counterculture, sort of swims against what society uh, typically believes about these things. So let's first look at the idea of truth. Individualistic cultures, which is a lot like the West, they don't like to hear that there is absolute truth, right? But if we're honest, we live in an individualistic culture and kind of by osmosis, we're, we're affected by that sometimes infected by that, and we struggle with that too. Like, absolute truth, really, Brad? But also, Eastern cultures, traditional cultures, 
uh, take the truth, they believe in it, but they use it for the wrong purposes many times to control people with it or even to shame people with it. But the Bible says that if you accept its truth, not because it works for you as an individual or because you could use it against someone that you don't like, but simply because it's true. So biblical Christian truth doesn't fit into traditional cultures or individualistic cultures. Uh, So that means for us to believe in absolute truth and swim against culture in that way, we're going to be a little weird or a little odd or a little different. Actually, I like the word peculiar. (laughs) We're going to be those that that people look at and, and they see there's something different about us because we believe in absolute truth. It's a counterculture. It's a culture within the larger culture. Now, here's another issue, the issue of sex and and intimacy. In traditional family-oriented cultures, there is a prudishness uh, about intimacy. But when you go to the Bible, you will see that there is nothing prudish about what the Bible says about sex at all. Go to the Song of Solomon, and you will see what I'm talking about. Why is the Bible pro-intimacy, pro-sex? It's because God designed it. On the other hand, what the Bible says about sex and the bounds of the, the, the sort of um, framework for it doesn't really go down well at all in an individualistic culture. Why? Because what the Bible says about sex and intimacy is that you must have that with, the, with someone that you're married to and only someone that you're married to. You must be with someone who is absolutely, permanently, and exclusively committed to you. And that offends people in individualistic cultures. And it also offends people in traditional cultures. That perspective about sex, about intimacy, doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in either of those cultures, but it fits in in the local church because that is what we believe. So for us, this is an area in which we swim uh, against culture we are a culture within the, a larger culture that believes something different about that issue. This is just a couple exa- of examples, but this is the first word picture of, of the church for us, and it's this. The local church is a counterculture. Now look with me, if you would, beginning at verse 19 again. Paul says, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of, and here's the second picture of the church, what? The household of God. So secondly, you're God's people and members of a household, which means you are members of his family. Now, the word for household or family, that appears about a dozen times in the New Testament. In fact, if you look at the words that are synonymous with those words, you're going to find a whole cluster of terms for family life in the New Testament. And I think that the writers are attempting to make a point by bringing this up so much. In fact, I think there's so many examples of it that you could argue that the word family to, um, you know, to to talk about the identity of a local church is probably the most, if not the most significant metaphorical usage of all of the word pictures in the Bible. In the end, it's likely because when you think of God's household, it is the very definition of the church. We're not like a household or a family. We are a household. Or a family. So, what is the significance for us and this sort of word picture as we think about the next decade and beyond? Well, 
we tend to think of the church as an organization. And though it would be wrong to say that you don't need to organize things in the body, the church is first and foremost not an institution. It's people. It is a people. Or said another way, it is primarily a home rather than an organization. And this helps when we think about the messiness of the local church, right? Think about your own immediate and extended families. How are those relationships? Are they good? Are they, are they perfect? No. Families are complex. Families are complicated, confusing, unpleasant. There's joy. There's pain. Friends, it is the same for the local church. That's why the New Testament over and over uses these terms to describe us as family. So we have to, as we move forward into the next decade and beyond, embrace this reality if we want to embrace the local church. This brings us to the second thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. The local church is a family, a spiritual family. And here's how I want to think about it. I want to think about the different parts of how we would think about our own families, immediate and extended, and apply that to how it really plays itself out in the life of the church. Let's talk about the idea of fathers or spiritual fathers. In a local church here at Mercy View, your spiritual fathers are the elders and and pastors here at Mercy View. They have been given to you to father you in the faith. And actually, I love that image because the idea is that fathers come alongside with their arm around you and we walk together, right? Yes, there is at times leadership, hey, like, come, come with me and and maybe we're, we're bringing folks with us. But for the most part, it's hand in hand or arms around each other as we move forward together. It's about service. It's about shepherding. It's about love and what we would hope that the women of Mercy View and that the children of Mercy View here feel from its pastors and elders is you are being fathered in the faith. All right, what about mothers? Spiritual mothers. We are praying that the Lord would continue to bring more and more of these women among us. We're so thankful for those of you that fit this category, wise, mature women who are uh, in, in a similar sense, a loving on, shepherding, teaching, discipling uh, other women and children here in our, our body. I, I think of some of our deacons and I think of the Women's Advisory Council. I think of the, the MC leaders, the wives that are um, co-leading with their, their husbands. There's um, just this whole um, interesting network to me, beautiful network of spiritual mothering that's happening among us. Let's think about the brother-sister dynamic. So if you're a guy here at Mercy View, you're in the brother category. If you're a a woman, you're in the sister category. Let's think about how beautiful the Lord uh, intends for uh, our community to be together. And I think in, in particular in the missional community. This has been real challenging, by the way, over the last year, right? We've had to meet in a variety of ways. I know our group has had to meet um, just guys and gals for, for quite some time. And we're looking forward to, I think it's this week, that we get back together, all together, to, to uh, enjoy fellowship and community in that way. And there's something that the Lord does in that dynamic. I can't explain it, but he uses it for our sharpening and shaping, and we are able to serve one another really well. But I also think this brother-sister relationship just sort of plays itself out in the body in so many interrelationships that just happen naturally, whether that's d-groups or friendships here. 
Then I think about the brother-to-brother relationship or the sister-to-sister relationship. Again, we're talking spiritually here. I think about D groups. I think about scrum. I think about nourish and the the, the way that God is using those environments for us to to grow as a family together. And and as we just said, you know, a spiritual family or a, an earthly family is going to have complexity. So is a spiritual family. We know that sometimes brothers and to brothers, they they have they don't get along sometimes, and they have to work through their stuff, right? Sisters to sisters, this is true for brothers and sisters. But we're committed to that, right? And then I, I think about the the image of of children among us. If you were here for us on Mother's Day a, a few weeks ago, you saw this entire front part of our church filled with children. And if you remember, if you were here, you as a member of Mercy View made a commitment to come alongside the parents of those children to shepherd and to serve and to love and to join them in the work of bringing uh, the gospel to them. And that's what I, I see as our, our role as we serve our spiritual children here at Mercy View. And then I just think, again, a large, high level, we're a spiritual family. And as a spiritual family, a spiritual family can include anyone, Right? It doesn't matter what season of life you're in or what stage of life you're in or if you have a call to, for example, singleness, like that's what the Lord has called you to. The beauty of a spiritual family is that you have a place here. You belong here. You have value here. We need you, want you to be a part of our spiritual family. And I actually think though churches need natural families, and we have quite a few of those around, um, we also want to affirm that those families find themselves in a part of the wider household of God, a local church, ready to embrace those members of the church who um, are coming by themselves or they need to be brought in into a loving relationship. Every Christian of every age, whether married or single, they need to belong to a wider family of faith where spiritual brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children can share support and love and wisdom and accountability in true Christian community. And that is our prayer here at Mercy View, that you would find a place that you would know that you're loved, that you belong here as a part of this spiritual family, no matter where you may find yourself in life. And how do we do that? How do we interact as a family together? So a lot of things I think we could say, but I think what I want to emphasize tonight is just this, love and truth. Right? If, you, if we love someone else without truth, um, that's going to be really sentimental and tender, but there's no way to hold anyone accountable in that relationship, right? But it's also not truth without love, where everybody is making people toe the mark in, in some kind of harsh and destructive way. It's always truth and love. It's affirmation and accountability. It's praising and it's sharpening. And I believe, as a spiritual family, when you have relationships of that kind of beauty... The watching world is going to say, I want in on that because they're not experiencing that in their relationships. It shows the plausibility, the relevance of the Christian message when we live that way. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The local church is a family. So first, we're citizens of the kingdom. We're a counterculture. Second, we are family. Now look with me, if you would, beginning at verse 20. Here's what Paul is talking about in verse 20. 
You are a building block. You are a stone in a house growing into what? A holy temple. And here's what that means. It means that you are now a dwelling place of God. You, you're a, a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's the third picture of the local church. You're a, a temple, a holy temple. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you look at each of these images of the church, you'll see that each one actually goes farther in its claims. And here's what I mean. There's a, a unity, a togetherness, a sense of belonging that comes with citizens of a kingdom. Yes, but when it comes to members of a household, there's even greater unity, right? Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers and children. But now we've come to the temple image. And you might be tempted to think, well, isn't the family image the one that we're the closest or needing to be the closest to one another? What Paul is trying to say, I think, is when you and I see ourselves as building blocks in the same wall in the temple of the dwelling of God, he's giving us an image of unity that is even more intimate than either of the previous pictures. He's talking about an even closer kind of, of unity. Here's, here's what I mean. A brother and sister can have a falling out and be estranged and still be a part of the family. They may just sit on opposite corners of the room at Christmas. But two building blocks can't have a falling out and there still be a wall. The wall would fall, right? The building would fall. I see this happen all the time with our kiddos at home when they're building things out of the blocks that they have. If, if one of the blocks isn't sitting right or right up next to another one or it's, it's not strong, the, the wall will fall. Let's just think for a moment about what the function of a building is. It's to shelter you, right, from the cold or from the heat or the rain. It's to give you a dry, comfortable place to sleep, among other things. Unless the building blocks of your home are secure and united and together, it can't do those things. So again, this is a word picture. So Paul is making a deeper point, and here's what he's trying to say. He's saying, when you are a lone ranger Christian, what you're trying to be is a Christian by yourself, and that's impossible. Paul's saying that you can't function the way God intended you to function if that's your approach. You weren't built that way. You weren't wired that way. You weren't designed or created that way. For you to be all by yourself, not in an accountability relationship with other Christians, not bearing one another's burdens, having other people bear your burdens, you are violating your nature. You are violating the way that you were created. You were created to be connected to other Christians in the local church. That's what Ryan talked about last week from Ecclesiastes, if you remember. So this brings us really to the third thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. The local church is an alliance. What is an alliance? An alliance is a union or an association that is formed for mutual benefit. That's what the local church is. You and I have come together to benefit the other people in this fellowship. That means we come into this church not with uh, this thought of like, how can I be served, but rather how can I serve? There's an others-focused approach towards the people in this local church. That's what begins to build us up because once we get connected to one another, when someone else is struggling, we can be strong for them and the block doesn't fall. The wall doesn't fall. In a sense, Paul is saying there is nothing higher than this attitude, this posture, this 
picture for us. There's unity in kingdom citizenship, yes. There's unity in family, yes. But most of all, there's an alliance in a wall, in a temple, and you and I are to be characterized by this. You need it. You have to have it. You were built for it. You've been recreated so that you have this design, this idea, this picture is the very embodiment of the local church. So how does this play itself out here at Mercy View? There's a few ways. One is that you and I covenant together. Right? If you're a partner here, you walk through a process with a pastor here where we looked at what the scriptures have to say to the leaders of Mercy View and then also to you as a, as a partner. And if, if uh, you agreed with that, we asked you to sign a document. Now, there's nothing magical about the document. In fact, the Bible doesn't even say you have to do that. But what we do in that is we see this as such a helpful tool to give us clarity about what our relationship is going to be like. And what we hope happens out of that is that you feel from us as leaders that we are for you. We're in this with you. We are committed to you. And they call you to be committed to us. Another way that we are characterized by this word picture of a building block, a wall, to be the very temple of God is, is the encouragement that we give you to be faithful and active in your presence here at Mercy View. If you're a partner with us, we ask you to do that in two places, what we're doing right now on Sunday evenings and also in our missional communities. And I, I was thinking about Ryan's talk a few weeks ago and he was talking about how hard the last 14 months have been for so many of us to sort of just get re-engaged and rebooted almost back into community to be around other people. And I, I'm probably preaching to the choir tonight because you're here, but I want to commend you for being here tonight. And I, I know that it's been a really challenging 14 months, but what I want to encourage you to do in the, in the days to come is to keep coming back. Be active, be faithful here on Sunday nights. If you're part of an MC, be faithful and active there. But let me tell you why. It's not just because um, we uh, are worried about our numbers. I don't care about that at all. Here's what I care about. I care about you being known and seen and heard. And you being able to know and see and hear other people in the context of community that you have. And another thing is this. When we don't see you or when you're not here, we miss you. We miss your personality. We miss your spirit. We miss your gifting. We miss you. We need you. You help make mercy of you, mercy of you. And so we want to encourage you in the weeks and months ahead as we sort of get back to, Lord willing, a, a, a normalcy, is to think about the ways that you can be faithful and active and present in the places that you've committed to, to be there. Get, get started on that, that new habit, if that's what we need to think of it that way. Start again uh, in the days ahead. And then one of the biggest ways that you can serve Mercy View and being a temple, being committed to one another, and in a lot of ways this embodies all of the word pictures, is we need your help to serve at Mercy View. Um, our, our opportunities for service aren't, aren't like real huge right now in the sense that we have a lot of areas that we need filled. We have just a few areas that we really need folks to step up and help us in. And you've heard us talk about this, so I'm just going to say it real briefly, but one of our greatest desires in the months to come is that we are able to build out our Mercy View Kids ministry. Before COVID-19 hit, um, we had a fully-fledged uh, kids ministry. We even had elementary age classes going on. We had youth ministry. We had all kinds of exciting things going on. 
And there's a part of us that grieves that we aren't, we aren't able to do that right now, but, but we also know that it's just, it's going to take a little time for us to get there. But um, we want to ask you to consider serving in Mercy View Kids so that we can be a safe and warm and welcoming, welcoming environment for all those families that you saw standing up here a few weeks ago on Mother's Day. But it's going to require all of us to say, I'll, I'll be a part, I'll be a part. In some way, we need every partner here at Mercy View to be serving in a meaningful way. And one of the great, greatest ways you can do that for us right now is with our kiddos. The local church is an alliance. So how do we do this? How do we think about this, particularly in the next decade and beyond, as we think about um, what it means? So, so here's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the local church, Mercy View, is the context for all of the things we've talked about in this series. Whether we've talked about community or mission or, or being a people of the truth, of the, of the word, being uh, engaged culturally, whatever it may be, what we're saying is it is this kingdom outpost that, that wants to be committed to those things for the future. But we have to have some something or someone uh, empowering that and strengthening that. And if you look back at verse 17, that's where you're going to see where it comes from. Let me just read it real quick and we'll be done. He says, and he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Notice that this is the verse verses before these word pictures in this passage. Why do you think that is? Because the writer knows that we can't just pull up our bootstraps and go, I'm going to be a kingdom citizen, I'm going to be a temple, I'm going to be a part of a spiritual family in our own strength. We have to be motivated by something much bigger and deeper than our own, you know, willpower. And here's what it is. You've been given peace through Jesus. Jesus has brought you into his family. He's brought you near. And now it's through him, through Jesus, that you have access in the spirit to the Father. You've been reconciled to God. And Paul's words to us remind us that the local church is the context for us to both um, rest in that reality and then allow that reality to move us into being the church that he's called us to be, these pictures of the church that he's called us to be. Mission and community and the study of the word and cultural engagement, all of those things don't mean anything unless you and I first have experienced the peace of Jesus that brings us near. But the good news of the gospel is that the peace of Jesus that brings us near is the same peace that will give you motivation and strength to be the church, to be the local church, to be the church that God has called us to be. And so as we conclude this series tonight, will you join us in being the local church that God has called us to be? In all of its beauty, all of its challenge, all of its complexity, I'm excited about the next decade and beyond. And I pray that you will join us in the next decade and beyond to be what God has called us to be as a local church in this community for his glory. Amen. Let's pray together.